Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you like them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. My guest today is Scott Thomas. Scott is an entrepreneur, TV presenter, and podcaster. He is the founder of the social PR and wellness coaching brand Food for Thoughts, as well as his own podcast, Learning As I Go, and known for appearing on our TV screens and radio. A Mancunian through and through, Scott grew up in Manchester on the event scene and hosting club nights. And in 2016, he shot to fame as part of the second series of Love Island where he reached the final. However, these days he is best known for sharing his self-development journey and his passion for progression and transforming people's lives. His business, Food for Thoughts, teaches people they can all enjoy the foods they love and still achieve their goals. And the social PR agency is the UK's fastest growing creative PR agency. As well as all of this, he has his own podcast, Learning As I Go, where he learns lessons from the people who've supported him and inspired him throughout his self-development journey. Scott is truly inspirational in his aims to empower people to join their own self-development journey and is someone who's destined for greatness. He lives in Manchester with his dog, Juno, and as someone who seems to be living his best life, I cannot wait to delve into the moments that have built his journey so far. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Scott. Wow, that is that's just literally got me a little bit emotional. Like, what? Well, that's the best summary of my life I've ever heard. Like, and I was literally going, "Oh my god, I'm doing all right." You are. Uh, this is your yeah. life. 
Um, Honestly, I just, I just felt really proud then. So thank you for that. Good. Well, a little bit of motivation for you. And it's so good to have you on today. I think you're probably one of the busiest people I know. And I just get tired watching everything that you do. So thank you for joining me. Um, so how's life for you at the moment? Our life is good, you know. Um, I've started the year super strong. Um, I made a decision at the back end of December to go sober again. And mm. when I make that decision in my head, I feel so sort of clear. And I also feel unstoppable as well because yeah. alcohol for me has always been my little kryptonite. And I went sober in 2020 and I had the best year of my life. I achieved so much. But then over the last two years, I've just been trying to experiment with, with alcohol and I don't drink often, but when I do, like the lows are so intense. Oh, they're awful. And, and what I find, Jen, the worst part of alcohol for me is not the actual drinking, it's the anticipation of drinking. So if I've got an event in three weeks' time, yeah. I will literally spend three weeks thinking, right, I'm going to drink. Should I drink? What am I going to be like? Oh, I'm going to make it fall of himself. And the fact that I can just remove that from my year now, I, it just makes me feel so much more confident and clear. Um, so yeah, the year's been a real, like really strong for me. And I, I really feel like I'm attracting a lot of good stuff into my life. Yeah, you give out such a great energy and it's so good to hear that that's how you actually feel with the way that your life's going. And I wanted to take it back a bit and just find out a bit, what were you like when you were growing up and what was your dream? What did you want to be? That's a very good question. Well, my dad was a soul singer. Um, a, a really famous Manchester uh, soul singer called Dougie James and the Soul Train. Um, ask your mum and dad, or they, they, they might have heard of him because he was a bit yeah. of a legend back in the day. Love I used it. to get into taxis after a night out and the taxi drivers used to say, I used to think they were going to say, are you Jason Grimshaw's brother? But instead they go, <laughs> are you Dougie James's son? He was a Love legend that. back in the day. Um, so <laughs> my dad was a soul singer. So I feel like me and my brothers always had that um, kind of entertainer within us. Mm-hmm. And we all used to we used to always love performing together as a, as a trio around the kitchen table with our family and stuff like that. But for some reason, when my stepdad came into my life, he really took me under his wing, and I became the academic one of the family. Yeah. So when I was in primary school, me and Adam, a twin brother, we actually went to separate schools because I got into this private school in um, Monson in, in Eccles called Bramwood Preparatory School, and he said that. They'd advise me going there, but they wouldn't advise Adam going there. So automatically, I became what the family called the professor of the family. Um, <laughs> no, not a bad I, place to be. No, it wasn't, to be honest. Like, I just... What, I've, what I can kind of remember is that I had a bit of a photographic memory mm-hmm. and I really was really receptive to learning. So I did really well in, pri- in primary school, private school. And then I went down that route and both my brothers were kind of... Um, the class clowns of their school, they won't mind me saying that, but they were like the entertainers. They just loved yeah. acting and going to drama school and stuff like that. Whereas with me, I was the professor. Um, and I had high hopes to be going to like Manchester Grammar School, um, which I think we're going to talk about soon, but I didn't get yeah. into that school. But I um, I went to a different school, but I had a really successful school career and went to university and everything else. But yeah, I, I think my original goal was to become a lawyer. Um, really? Just Yeah, just because basically... I was into my humanities um, and in in school, you don't really have much guidance. You don't really no. know what the, how the world works. And it was either be a doctor or if you're into science or be a lawyer if you're into the humanities and everything else. So that was kind of my goal in life, but I didn't really put much thought into it, if I'm honest. 
I feel like especially like back in the day, I mean, I was always very creative, but loved maths. It was just like be an architect or do this. And it was only like a few career paths to go down. And actually a lot of my friends that were pushed down these career paths hate them now because they kind of weren't developed in the skills that they loved. And it's interesting that you say that because actually it's, it's hard to sometimes remember what you wanted to do, but actually it's really good that you didn't branch into something that you kind of were put into a box, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Looking back, I didn't have a clue who I wanted to be. And and, and you know what? I don't think you should at that age. No. Um, but I do remember my teacher, my English teacher saying to me, Scott, you should look into PR when you're older. And honestly, I didn't have a clue what PR was. And I didn't even <laughs> kind of understand what he meant until now, obviously, as I got older. And obviously, that's what I've ended up doing. But mm. I think my, my skill and my talent is bringing energy into a room, motivating people, bringing people together, building communities, whether that's nightlife, um, nights out, or walks in the countryside now with food yeah. thoughts. But back then, I didn't really understand if I could kind of allocate those skills to a career, if that makes sense. And it's so good now that people know that there are careers that, you know, you don't have to be academic to succeed. And there's so many um, transferable skills that can go into different things. And you mentioned there about your twin brother, Adam. And I wanted to ask you, what was it like being a twin? I mean, I grew up literally watching like sister, sister and wanted to be a twin my whole life. (laughs) What was it like being a twin? Oh my God, that's such a throwback. I loved sister, (laughs) sister. Roger! Yeah. Oh my God. That's, I literally know, used to pretend I had a twin sister because I just wanted to be a twin so much. Do you know Roger from Sister Sister was actually Marquise, Marquise Houston? Marquise Houston. Oh yeah. Yes, I do. That literally is amazing. Yeah. Oh, you just took me back. Do you know what? <laughs> As a kid, it was really difficult being a twin mm-hmm. um, because we had to share the same friends. We had to share the same clothes. We had to share an ice cream. Oh, just get, get an ice cream between the twins. Yeah. And do you know what? We didn't really appreciate how good we had it until we get older, until we've got older now, and we kind of understand it. But back then as a kid, I remember it being a little bit frustrating because we kind of had to share everything, share friendship groups, everything. But we also had each other's back as well. Like, So if we ever got into a bit of trouble, even if we didn't like each other that day, we'd still back each other up and we had a little bond. I think you can't really put your finger on what that bond is, but there's yeah. definitely something special about being a twin. And now... As I've got older, both my brothers are like my best friends. So it's kind of come full circle, if that makes sense. It's amazing. And it's probably what you said about going to different schools as well was like a really good thing because you kind of become your own identities then to then be able to be better brothers and kind of be more yourselves together. Yeah, 100%. Going to different schools gave us an opportunity to really carve out our own sort of identities. And we are very different um, in so many different ways, but we're also similar as well. So yeah, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to us. But at the time, I think Adam found it a little bit difficult because I kind of got all the limelight, which is actually, um, it's quite funny, really, considering that those two both shot to fame a lot earlier than me. But at the time, as a kid, I think in the family, I was kind of a little bit like the golden child. And I think they found it a little bit tough at times. Yeah, it's hard when you've got siblings. You all have your moment in the limelight in your family yeah. and then it all kind of goes up and down. And you mentioned there about like the skills that you have in terms of like, building communities, bringing people together. And I feel like you seem like such a giving person and you're someone that kind of really thrives off seeing other people succeed. Would you say that that's something that really kind of drives you as a person? Yeah, I just, for me, what Food Force has taught me that through working on myself 
and my own personal journey. I get to inspire other people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is the best kind of byproduct of working on yourself. I say to everyone else sometimes, like you don't understand the impact your journey is going to have on people around you. Like for example, when I went sober, my mum went sober and she actually has been sober now for nearly three years off the back Amazing. of that. Amazing. I've got my friends now um, who are also on their journeys who who tell me all the time that they've kind of been inspired by me. And I didn't really set out to do that, if I'm honest. But I feel like through working on yourself and, and kind of getting control of your own life, other people find inspiration in that. And for me, I just feed off that energy now. I feed off, I feed off the recognition of other people as well, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, I think sometimes I ask myself, like, why do I want to be so, success- so successful? Because, all right, I want to have a nice lifestyle and I, I want to have money in the bank, but I'm not really motivated by money. I'm, I'm more motivated by being recognised and, and, and being successful as a person. And I think, yeah. I don't know why that where that comes from. I think it maybe comes from me being a people pleaser um, from being a young age. My therapist tells me because my dad wasn't always around. Maybe I was, I'm always looking for that love and attention. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure where it comes from. But yeah, I just thrive off being an inspiration to people. Um, and I do care about other people as well. There's... I'm all, I just re- I just replied to someone on, on Instagram then and I get so many messages all the time and I find it really hard not to reply, especially when they're quite emotional ones. And yeah. I just know because I wasn't always famous, I just feel like I really appreciate the platform I've been given. So if I can send a message to someone and that can make their day, then I think there's something really powerful in that and it's the least I can do. So yeah, I really um, try to use my platform for good, if that makes sense. Massively. And I really resonate with what you said because I feel like, Sometimes you kind of, you know, you're in a job and you just feel like there's some, you've got something more to give in life. And it's very hard to put, put your finger on it. Because as you say, it's like you just want to inspire people and you just want to kind of be someone that brings people together. And if they take away one thing from something that you've said, you've kind of done your job because you've noticed that, you know, you've been inspired by so many people. So I, I think it's brilliant. And I know kind of like you're only in your thirties now, but would you kind of say that you feel like at the moment you've had like two parts to your life so far? Like, do you feel like you're living like different Scots or do you think you're kind of moving towards your next part of your life? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, I remember asking my big brother when he turned 30, because I felt like that was dead old at the time. Um, oh, didn't we like, all? I was like, oh, what's it like being 30? Because obviously he's four years older than me. Yeah. And he said, to be honest, Scott, it's the best part. It's the best years of my life. I went, what do you mean? He went, he said, I just really understand who I am now. I really understand what I like doing, what I don't like doing. I know when to say no. Um, and I think that's what's happened to me now. As I've got as I've, as I've, um, got a little bit older, I've really kind of figured out who I am. And don't get me wrong, mm. I'm still doing that. But in my 20s, I felt lost, um, yeah. if I'm honest. For a, a lot of my twenties, I got kind of wrapped up in the whole nightlife scene, and but to be honest, I think you kind of have to do that. Of course, think, you do. Yeah, I think you kind of have to go and try different things and, and and experiment with different ways of living, so to speak. But I think for me, if I had any advice to anyone, it would be when you get to the age of twenty five, just start trying to think about the bigger picture. Just at twenty five, I feel like I started to think about the bigger picture when I got to about twenty eight, yeah. and then obviously I'm now reaping the rewards now of all my hard work over the last say four to five years but I just wish I did it when I was 25 but I don't have any regrets but yeah I think sometimes it's good to start thinking about the bigger picture a little bit earlier definitely and there's definitely a switch that flips when you turn 30 and I'm I've heard there's another switch flips when you turn 40 and I think now what I love is there are so many inspirational people around us that are in their 30s and 40s and like back in the day it was like if you don't make it in your 20s 
you're done, you're too old. Whereas now, I think we're really seeing the power of being that kind of age, knowing who you are, knowing what you want and kind of making a success of yourself. So I think it's brilliant. Um, I think that's a really good point you just mentioned though, like in terms of success at an early age. Um, I think I've been surrounded by my brothers who were famous mm -hmm. from the age of 16. Um, I've had some friends who have become multimillionaires in the, in the 20s and... I've got a, re a really successful friendship group, if, if so to speak, which is kind of an intentional thing, an intentional thing because I like to surround myself with people who are go-getters and people yeah. who want to do well. Um, and it does put pressure on you to try and be a millionaire by the age of 30 or whatever else. And I'm always chasing that kind of early success. But I've just been reading a book recently by uh, Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich. And it really specifies in there that most successful people don't even kind of reach their potential until in the 40s. Yeah, and it kind of exactly. gave me a bit of a reality check because I think because of the rise of social media, we're kind of led to believe that everybody's a millionaire by the age of 21 because of all these YouTubers and stuff. And really, it's um, really rare case studies that kind of demonstrate that. Definitely. We've got so much more of our lives to live. If we get everything now, what the hell are we going to do for the rest of our lives? So I think that's so interesting. And you you do juggle a lot of plates in your businesses, your social life, your family life. And as I said, you kind of seem to be someone that's kind of living your best life. Do you think you're just built that way? Because I think, you know, as you say, we're influenced by people around us on social media. I can sit here and look at you and be like, oh my God, Scott just does so much. I can't do that. But do you think that's just the way you are as a person? You just like to be doing lots of different things all the time. <laughs> if I'm honest, no. <laughs> um, You're I very good at it. I, I, no, I ask myself all the time, am I taking too much on? Um, it's my biggest battle and question in life. And let me just kind of reassure anyone who's listening to this. I am not super positive and motivated all the time. Um, I tend to put it out to the universe purely because I feel like if I do, I'll get it back. Like for example, yesterday totally. I woke up, I was, I was overwhelmed. I felt um, a little bit drained, but I was like, you know what, Scott? Today's going to be a good day. Yes. Whatever comes your way, you're going to deal with it with positivity. And because I had that mindset, my day became a lot easier and certain problems that I had, I found solutions to a lot quicker than I probably would have done before. So and true. I always use my, the analogy of being like a, um, a duck floating across the surface. You look all calm and composed floating across the surface, but underneath you're flapping. And I think, I don't mean, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think anyone in business, like mm -hmm. anyone who's successful, they've not all got the shit together, right? They don't, no uh, one does. They don't, everyone's winging it. Everyone's trying to figure it out. And trust me, I'm one of those people. Um, I like to share sometimes my low moments as well um, in terms of, the real side of life. Like the other day I woke up and I had a stomach bug and I was like, oh, I just can't be arsed today. And instead of trying to front on Instagram, I actually put it out there, guys, I'm not feeling too great today. I'm going to listen to my body, slow down. I tried to put those real moments across there. Um, but if I'm honest, the fact that I've got three businesses, so I've got social PR, food thoughts, and then my personal brand now with my podcast, I class that as a, as, yeah. as a business now because Definitely. I really want to take it to new heights. Um, it's difficult. It's really difficult. And they kind of came about by accident. So when I went sober in 2020, just through working on myself and getting to the best shape of my life and learning all about nutrition, I ended up launching Food for Thoughts, which grew so quickly. But then I've also got the social PR, which is such a great business, which is mm -hmm. kind of part of my life. It's part of my lifestyle as well, the same as Food Thoughts. And then my personal brand is so important because it feeds all my businesses, like the, the, yeah. the kind of more high profile you. I am. Yeah, exactly. So I'm the biggest thing that I'm trying to get on top of now is... is um, 
creating leaders within my businesses in order to allow me to operate where I want to operate. Because you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. And if I'm honest, I don't love business like in terms of all the aspects of it. I'll be completely honest. Like I've got friends who love sitting in talking about KPIs and finances and everything else. I love being part of businesses. I love building brands. I love building communities. I don't love sitting in finance meetings. I don't really necessarily love managing people on a day-to-day basis because I like to be the good guy all the time. Um, So for me, it's about making sure that I build teams and, and leaders who can allow me to operate in the places that I love to operate. So for example, with social PR, I love connecting people and brands and signing new talent and doing a good job for them. And with Food for Thoughts, I like being the motivation, the inspiration for people, bringing people together again. So I can't do everything, um, but it's really hard to find leaders that you trust. But I'm on that process now of really being super clear of who I am, where I want to operate and make sure I build teams around me in order to allow me to do that. Definitely. And like the point that you make about... um, you know, being a duck and kind of that type of thing. Everyone is faking it till they make it. No one knows everything. You've got to just believe in yourself and you've got to put yourself out there. And actually by trying to do lots of different things, that's what you learn kind of what feeds you as a, and feeds your soul. And it's great to recognize that the bits that you do like about your businesses so that then you can kind of do more of it and influence more people. So I think you're doing an amazing job. And listen everyone has their bad days and we have to just talk about them sometimes because we're all human um so before we go on to talking about your sliding doors moments i wanted to ask so firstly have you seen the film sliding doors is that with Gwyneth paltrow yeah i have seen it but like years ago and i remember it being a really good film off the back of that what is your kind of thoughts on the sliding doors theories like everything happens for a reason timing coincidence fate what do you believe in yeah, hundred percent. I feel like you don't really have a choice, but I don't feel. I feel like you don't really have a choice but to believe in that because mm-hmm. if you don't, then sometimes when life does get tough, what's the answer? Whereas really, I think some of my darkest moments and some of my biggest tests in life have led me to exactly where I need to be, and they've kind of defined me as a person. Um, and I know we're going to go on to talk about it, but hundred percent, I think that film kind of raises a good point in terms of. Sometimes when one door closes, another door definitely opens. Definitely. And are you someone that now that when, you know, bad things happen in your day or you don't get an answer you want, you kind of believe that it's for the greater good or something better will come out of it? Yeah, I'm definitely getting better at that. Um, I feel like I'm getting a lot more comfortable with the word no. And and if I'm honest, I took a lot of inspiration from um, Davina McCall's podcast the other day with um, Stephen Bartlett. I don't know if, you, if you've yeah. heard that. And she talked about um, how being fearless in terms of reaching out and sending emails and not being scared to get a no and just like, what is the worst thing that can happen? And I feel like you've got to be, especially when you're trying to chase big dreams and goals and and, and be successful, you've got to be willing to take a no on the chin. Um, And I think it it creates um, resilience. Yeah. And I've definitely become a lot stronger over the years in terms of thinking, you know what, just because that one person said no, it doesn't mean that that kind of opportunity has been closed off. It's just like you need to find a different route. You need to find a different path. And I think success isn't like a, a straightforward path. You've got to be agile. You've got to um, adapt to whatever's kind of thrown in your way and jump over those obstacles. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Definitely. I fully believe in that, too. Um 
So on to your first sliding doors moment. So you say, I got escorted out of a work event for one of our biggest clients. So this is a massive life-changing moment for you and kind of seems like it was definitely the catalyst to the path that you're on now. So do you want to explain kind of where you were at that time in your life and what happened on that night? Yeah, so um, I think it was in 2019, the back end of it, and... I was trying to get on top of my relationship to alcohol because basically I've been a massive party boy all my life. I used to throw parties for a living um, for about eight years in Manchester. Um, I had a night called a visa every Thursday. It started off in Wilmslow and then it was in uh, Manchester on Deansgate Locks at Socorro. Oh, so and I we used, used to, to have spend some, my teen years. Yeah, and we used to have some high-profile guests attending like Justin Bieber, LeBron James, um, who else? JLS back then and N-dubs and all that kind of stuff. And it was a great time of life, but my, my relationship to alcohol kind of escalated. I, I was out drinking three times a week and I got to the point where the social PR was doing so well and I needed to get on top of my relationship to alcohol because I couldn't go missing for a day or two anymore. I couldn't like literally write myself off like I used to and, and be a serious businessman and I couldn't be seen at certain events like that. And I remember in 2019, um, I hadn't drank for about, I think it was like, I used to go for like, once a month not drinking and I felt amazing for it. And that was a big achievement for me. Yeah. And then I was I was feeling really strong. I had a great year, achieved so much with social power that year. And we went to our Christmas do um in London. But before the Christmas do and the whole team was coming up, we had um a chairman's luncheon for one of my biggest clients, a big hotel group in London. And it was so um kind of prolific for us to be invited there and it was really high profile and we got a big mention on the night for all the incredible work we'd done. And I turned up um, from the night before after being out in London because I thought, right, I'm going to go out in London the night before to take the wind out of my sails. Yeah. And I ended up being late um, to the chairman's luncheon and I hated myself because I was hungover. And for whatever reason, I decided to carry on drinking when I got to this luncheon because I was so gutted for being late and I was embarrassed with myself and my business partner was there at the time. And I ended up drinking wine um, purely because I just wanted to get through the event and I was so embarrassed with myself. And anyway, I got so drunk that I ended up making an absolute idiot of myself. And I got escorted out in front wow. of um, my business partner and all my team heard about it. Um, my client wouldn't even speak to me that, that that evening. I then went out to proceed to go out that night with all my team and embarrass myself in front of my team because I was just escalating. I was completely yeah. escalating. I was like, I can't, I can't believe that I've done this to myself. And I was just literally on self-sabotage mode. And I woke up the next day and I lost the respect on my whole team, my business partner, my client. Um, and I essentially nearly lost my business because if I couldn't get on top of this, then people yeah. wouldn't have wanted to work with me. And it was so, I was like, oh my God, I've had such a great year. I've done so many amazing things for my business because I know I knew that I was one of the main driving forces of that business. It was my contacts, my name. Like I was so good at what I did. Yeah, yet it was this one night that was going to undo all my hard work. And I was like, I can't do this to myself. I need to get out of my own way. So I decided that Christmas, even though I was so low, to fly out to Abu Dhabi on my own for um, for 10 days. And I went over there and I've never been so low. I remember really? having like almost like a little panic attacks on, on, yeah. on, on the beach with anxiety because my business partner was pretty much kind of threatening to leave me. Not because she was a bad person, but because she just didn't know if she could work with me again. And yeah. I was like... So I remember walking over to the to the ocean um, with it, and I picked up this little pebble. And I've always said to myself before, right, I'm going to stop drinking for a while and everything else, but there was something different this time. 
there was like this tingling feeling within me where I just knew that I had to do something bold. So I held this pebble in my hand and I swore that I was going to do 12 months sober. And the reason why I held the pebble is because I wanted to remember the texture and I wanted to take it home and I wanted to remember how I felt when I made yeah, that promise to myself. Such a good idea. So literally, um, I did make that decision and I went home and this time it was just different. The mindset was different. I knew it. I knew I was going to do it. And I always wanted to talk about going sober because I, it's weird because even before I went sober, I knew that there were so many people like me who weren't necessarily alcoholics, but who had a bad relationship to alcohol because I think yeah. there's a culture in the UK where if it's your birthday, you go out, you get drunk. If you get a new job, you get drunk. If someone dies, you get drunk. Like everything's based around drinking, socialising, yeah, everything. So and I always wanted to share my message, but then I was a bit embarrassed because like, I'm still going through it. So I went on that year to get to like six months sober. I got into the best shape of my life. My, my best friend Eden taught me all about nutrition. I was learning so many things. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to talk about this. And I put out an Instagram live and just talking about where I was up to. And the impact was just amazing. So many people could resonate. Um, and it just really inspired a lot of people. And I just, I don't know why I, I put myself out there. I don't know why I did it. I just I just had this feeling I need to talk about this because I knew that so many people would be going through something similar. Yeah. And despite that, that dark moment, like happening with the hotel and my client and my team, it gave me that pain and that kind of drive to make a big change. And I, I channeled that pain into my self-development, into progression. And I look back now and I think, you know what? I wouldn't change it, even though it was so difficult at the time. It yeah. led me to that year, taking over the social PR fully, um, launching Food Thoughts, my new wellness brand, which brings people together and provides people with Nutri-Coaches and talks Amazing. all about nutrition and self-development. And I also started my new brand, which was... Scott Thomas, the the, the, the self-development guy, which is crazy because I used to be called the Scotty Special, the big party boy. So <laughs> it was mad how much in literally the space of six months, my life completely changed. Yeah, it's, it's such a brilliant moment because I think it brings up so many points. Like, as you say, I think one point that I love is, is that like that one night, that one decision you made has helped so many people. Like if you hadn't started Food for Thoughts, like you, it wasn't just you. You, you, you've kind of gone on to help so many other people. And I also think I wanted to ask you, like before kind of that happened and you said you were like Scotty, the party boy and everything, were there kind of warning signs before this event and had people spoken to you before? As you said, you were flying high, you knew you had like you were destined for greatness, but you were the one sabotaging it. And had anyone kind of spoken to you about that beforehand? Oh, 100 percent. Like so when I was young um, and when it was my job to host parties, the Scottish special was a bit of a legend. I used to get chucked out my own nights. Uh, for dancing on tables, being the craziest guy at the party. Everyone's cheering me on. But as I got a little bit older, people started going, he needs to get his shit together. Like, um, And it became a lot less cool to be the Scottish special. And also, what people didn't really realise is, even though I was that crazy party animal on a night out and the, the guy who was the loudest guy in the room and everything else, I used to wake up the next day on, on many occasions in tears. Um, I used to hate myself. And... I felt a little bit trapped in a way because it's almost like I felt like... Only, because in a way, believe it or not, I'm a little bit of an extrovert, but I'm also an introvert as well. So I'm not always naturally confident. I actually drank for confidence. I drank yeah. um, to be the life and soul because actually some days I just want to be quiet and I just want to be me. And I felt like I had to put this facade on this front. And just and, like keep it going for everyone. 
yeah, keep it going for everybody else. So even throughout the, like the peak and, and the kind of the highs of my partying career, I was having some really big lows because the next day people would judge me. People would actually say, oh, he's just a lunatic, that Scott. They wouldn't even know me. They wouldn't even know that I was quite intelligent. They wouldn't know that yeah. I was quite deep and that I had these like sensitive sides to me and stuff. Like people just thought he's a cannon. Like, and it was tough. So there was lots of warning signs, but the only warning signs were socially. So for yeah. example, I might piss people off or I might upset someone or it never actually impacted my business and my success. It actually fed into my success a little bit in terms of being the ultimate party boy, made me more money, um, gained me more recognition in the nightlife industry. But when I moved into social PR and becoming a credible businessman, it actually started to impact my business career. And that's when I went, wow, not only is it impacting my social life, it's actually impacting all my hard work and there's no way that can happen. So yeah, there, there was loads of warning signs and I struggled for a long time, but I had no role model to look up to, if yeah. I'm honest, in terms of, there was no one really talking about being sober. There was no one really talking about having balanced approach to drinking. Like all my heroes were just people on reality TV and all like the, the celeb culture of going out. And it just, I didn't really have anyone to look up to. I just thought that was the only way. So that's why now me talking as a normal lad and a bit of a lad, I like to class myself as, who's been there and done it. I want to be an inspiration to people who feel like there isn't another alternative, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. And I think we need people like you because you can, you get more from life when you don't drink. Like I have, I don't have as much of an extreme relationship with alcohol, but I don't really drink because I just can't deal with it mentally the next day, whether I have one drink, whether I have five, but I go to out for dinners. I can see the looks. I can see that, oh, she's not having a drink. And it's hard to kind of, how do you think kind of how do you go about combating the stigma? So like, you know, I think often you can be quite confident it's what you want to do. When you go out there, like, oh, you're not just going to have one drink. Come on. Da, da, da. How do you deal with that? Because I think that's the hardest thing. I don't know what's happened over the last year or so, but I actually think it's becoming a lot cooler now to be sober. Yeah, I feel like I a lot agree. more people are talking about it now. Like I go out now and I actually feel cool for being sober. It's weird. Whereas I think times have definitely changed. But then... Do you know what? It's all part of a journey because now people don't really expect me to drink. At first, it was difficult um, because you do feel like the boring one. But I think the more you stick to your guns, the more you kind of stand up for what you think's right, more and more people kind of, they start to respect you for it. Yeah. And I was speaking to someone uh, once who basically said, there's a, there's a big difference between saying, I'm not drinking tonight because that's when people get on your case and go, well, why are you not drinking? Come on, just have one. Whereas if you say, I don't drink, you automatically stop and go, oh, wow. Like you, people kind of respect it and mm -hmm. they almost envy it a little bit. For me, being sober and being able to enjoy your night out in life is a superpower. Oh, it's like, incredible. And do you enjoy nights out now, not drinking? Um, I wouldn't say that yet, if I'm completely okay. honest. That's I'm, a I'm good not answer really, there. Yeah, I've not really got to that point yet. Like um, I usually go out for like two hours tops and then I need to kind of backdoor it. But I think my biggest kind of, not test for this year, but something that I really want to get on top of is enjoying my nights out sober and, and finding new ways to get that release and that escapism that yeah. sometimes I think I, I look for in alcohol. I think I drink to escape a lot of time because I'm 100 miles an hour. It was the one time when I didn't think about my phone, didn't think about business, everything else. So I'm trying to find new ways now of getting that kind of 
break and that that kind of escapism. Do you know what? I shouldn't say escapism because I don't need to it's escape the, my life. It's I, the buzz. It's like we all just need that little bit of release. Like I even I when I have a drink, I'm like, oh, this is why I have it. Like and it, it's hard mm. and it's so good that you can be honest and say like I'm still figuring it out because you know it's not a quick fix and it's never going to be like woo my life's amazing now that I don't mm. drink. But it takes time to kind of figure these things out. Yeah, hundred percent. Listen, I've had a great start to the year, but it's well easier to be super positive and motivated in January and February when everyone else is on dry January and February. But listen, when it gets to summer and everyone's sat in the yeah. beer gardens having the cocktails and it's going to be a little bit tough, but you know what? I know I can grow through it and I know I'll find new ways. Whereas last time when I did the year sober, because I knew it was going to end at the end of the year, I actually didn't bother learning new skills. I actually just thought, I won't go out there. I won't do this, and I'll just wait till the end of the year, and I'll just I'll sort do myself it next off. Year. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this year, because I know I'm actually saying I'm not drinking for good, I'm going to be forced to learn new ways of enjoying myself and finding that kind of enjoyment in life and being able to socialise sober and stuff. And I'm feeling strong about it. I am, but yeah. trust me, there's going to be tests. But that's why I always say to everybody, just go at your own pace. Like it's not going to happen overnight. Of course, there will. And as you say, like building communities of people around this, that's what's going to help you through it. Having other mm. people to talk to about these things. And I wanted to ask you, if you hadn't have been thrown out that night, like how different do you think things would be for you now? Like it sounds like it would have come to a head in some way. But do you ever really think about like if that moment hadn't have happened? Because then you wouldn't have gone to Abu Dhabi. You wouldn't have had your moment with the pebble. Do you know what? Like you said before, it definitely would have come to a head at some point. Um, and if I'm honest, I'm quite grateful that it wasn't something that was to do with my health or getting myself into a re really dangerous situation um, because that's kind of where it was heading. Um, like I said, I wasn't drinking often. It could be once a month, but I think it was even more of an explosion when I did drink. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because yeah, definitely. I was restricting myself so much that when I did drink, my behaviour was even more outrageous. Um, so yeah and, and you know what maybe <laughs> a lot of people I might not have said that I was even as bad as I say I was but I've got such high expectations for myself and the person mm -hmm. I want to become that 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 person didn't match up to that and yeah. I always ask people who is the person you want to become what does that person look like how did he act and for me I can see myself on stage one day in Vegas like Tony Robbins speaking to thousands yeah. of people about self-development and everything else and I think does that guy drink and does he self-sabotage himself I think no he doesn't so that's when I made the decision and went I need to cut it out and you know what one day it might come back into my life and I might have some new kind of um thoughts around it but for now it's something take each day out. take each day keep that visualization you in your head um so on to your second moment so it's going on to love island in 2016 so i admitted to scott that i didn't know he'd been on love island until i started researching him and let alone you got into the finals so now i feel like a right idiot um but take us back and explain how you got yeah. on the show and how this was such a sliding doors moment for you so um both my brothers were credible soap actors all of their lives. So Ryan was in Corrie from the age of 16, Coronation Street, and Adam started off in Waterloo Road, then, then he went into Emmerdale for like eight years. So I was always around like actors and celebrities, and I always, if I'm honest, because of that entertainer within me that comes from my dad, I did always want my little moment, and I used to get approached for reality TV all the time, but reality TV back in the day, believe it or not, was like massively snubbed, like in terms mm. of, it wasn't seen cool or credible. You're talking like the start of like Geordie Shaw and Towie when it first came out, even though it was good, they were great shows and entertaining. Yeah. 
they weren't really seen as credible. So my brothers, especially Ryan, didn't necessarily want me to do reality TV. But then I got to the point where I had this business called the Selfie Stick Business. That was my first ever business. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, we basically brought over the Selfie Sticks from China. Love and that. when he first came out and we built this business, it was amazing to be honest. We had all our selfie sticks in Selfridges, Harrods, Costco, and we had this big warehouse and we, like, we turned over like one point like eight million in our first year on, on selfie sticks. It, it was Love amazing. It. And we did it by using all the celebrities and influencers who came to my nights, right? So basically back in the day when Instagram first started and Twitter was a big thing. Yeah. Um we would just send a selfie stick to someone like a Charlotte Geordie Shore or um, I don't know, someone from TOWIE and they would post our selfie sticks for free because no one got paid back then. It was mad. And we built this brand. It was really cool. Long story short, we then moved that business into, um, because we had all the doors open with all the retailers, we then moved the selfie sticks into the air runners, the segways. You remember the segways that everyone's flying around yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, So we had our segways in salvages everywhere. Um, but then that business had to go bump basically because it wasn't our selfie stick. No, it wasn't our segways. But I don't know if you remember in all the bad press around them, they were blowing up in people's houses mm -hmm. and everything else. So everyone's deals got pulled and cancelled, and we had some big deals with Costco in the um, in the realms, and we were set to be millionaires literally from these deals. But overnight, they got they got pulled. Yeah. So we had to liquidate our business. So I had my back against the wall a little bit. And we had the social PR. It was a very small business at the time. It was part of our little kind of umbrella brand. And so Love Island kept approaching me to come and do the show. And because I just lost that business and my back was against the wall, again, another sliding doors moment because yeah. if my business was going really well, I would have been like, I'm not going to Love Island. No way. Yeah, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Um, so I thought, what have I got to lose? I've got the social PR now. It'll go, I'll go on to that show and it'll be a great platform for my PR agency. Um, so I made a decision to go on there. Um, in fact, I was actually so bougie at the time, instead of going straight on there, I said, I said to the producers, I'll come for a meeting and I went to see them and I went, listen, I don't want to do Love Island, but here's a script for my own show. And I gave them a script <laughs> and I was like, I want to do a show about, um, called Making It in Manchester. I wanted to do a show about all the new businesses in Manchester that are kind of up and coming. This is when Umar would just started Pretty Little Thing. Oh uh, yeah, um, yeah. Adam and Drew Jones had just started Tattoo Restaurant. Scott and Ross had just started Couture Club and I wanted to do a show about all of us starting our businesses and, and the rise of them. And I've had so many meetings about it over the years, but it's never it's never um, got off the kind of floor. But at the same time, it's so ironic because all those businesses now have gone on to be absolutely yeah, multi-million pound, billion pound businesses. Been. I know. So anyway, but anyway, long story short, I decided to do Love Island and it was amazing. What an amazing experience. Like going into that villa... And having six weeks of your life with no phone, beautiful women, great people. Don't get it wrong, it was a mental test in there because you actually of do course. fall for people. I obviously yeah. fell for Katie when I was in there and they send people in there to test you all the time, which was challenging. But overall, what a great experience. And we and I, the show wasn't a big show then. Like we thought we'd go on. The first series, people got like a couple of hundred thousand followers yeah. and that was it. We came out when we was all on like half a million followers. Um I was on the front page of OK Magazine. I had more followers than my brothers, right, which was crazy. Off one show, they'd been on Mad. TV for, for like 16 years and I came out and had more followers than them. And for a little while, I was, I was technically more famous than, than them, which was, which was crazy because people forget um, I was the unfamous brother until the age of 27, which yeah. 
I Which was is like not to... old, but like you're like late 20s. Yeah, that, so I used to always take the pictures of my brothers. I was the one who would be the one, not in the shadows, because they took me everywhere they went and they, they really made me feel part of their lives. But at the same time is, I think it did affect me not being in the limelight, so to speak. So to come out and have this kind of, to have this little moment um, in, the, in the sunshine was amazing and it felt good and it was a great little platform for my business and for me as well and it was the best thing I ever did um, because it's still opening up doors for me now. Even going into client meetings, um, looking for new business, people trust you, you've got that credibility because you've got a platform and yeah, it's been it's been a massive part of my life. And do you think as well, because you said that you kind of had the social PR already kind of bubbling in the background before you went on. And I know that now kind of you work a lot with Islanders that have come off the show. Do you think that kind of your experiences of when you first came out and as you say, like that instant fame, do you think you can also kind of use that now to kind of influence a lot of other people on kind of the journey you were on? Yeah, so when we came out of Love Island, people didn't really know how to deal with us um, yeah. because we were the first of our kind in that way in terms of the overnight success, the kind of... Are we credible? Are we not? Are we reality stars? Like people didn't really know where to place us, and and, and there wasn't there weren't really very good managements around at the time. And I was doing all kinds of stuff from teeth whitening posts to like just I was I had no direction. Yeah. And for me, I really want to fill that void now in terms of I've created a management whereby I've been through that journey. I can navigate people through all the mistakes that I made and also guide them towards all the good moves that I know will serve them well in the future and create long-term careers and build a real, like a real family environment. That's what I want to do with social PR and that's what we are doing. Mm -hmm. I want people to come to us and know they've got support on all aspects of their life from finances to mental health to obviously their careers and building their own brands and everything else and just give them that support but do it in a way that's kind of genuine and from a good place and we won't work with people unless we feel like we can do a good job for them and, and we won't over promise and under deliver for me it's about working with less people and doing a really good job and um, I'm really proud of the, the work that we're doing with the team yeah it's amazing and also like do you feel because you could have very easily taken that fame and like run with it in so many different directions but you really took it and used it as a platform to grow your businesses do what you want to do and do you kind of is that how you always saw it as like, you you know, once you came off and you saw this fame, it actually drove you more to do the thing that you loved and kind of step away, not step away from the limelight, but do you know what I mean? As in like, you've, you've built yourself as a credible entrepreneur, you're building a brand and you're kind of doing it quite differently. Yeah, so I, I would say one of my proudest achievements is not losing sight of the social PR after I came out of Love Island. Um, I had a really good business part at the time, Fran, and between us, we kept that alive, despite the fact that I was making good money, turning up to nightclubs, doing yeah. fashion posts um, and everything else. But I still kept the social PR running. And it was a bit of a part-time business at the time. And the reason why we kept it running was because I knew that this this moment in the sunshine wasn't going to last forever. Um, I've seen the fame game a lot, being around my brothers and everything else. And I'm really proud that I didn't lose sight of that because... My moment in the sunshine did kind of come to an end after a lot. Not come to an end because no, I found but you. New... It, you come in and out of the limelight. Thank you. Very, yeah, that's very much so. You basically you have those 
um, highs and lows, right? Where you're relevant, when you're not relevant, and you kind of got to keep re- recreating yourself and and building that relevance back. And I've done other shows, like done shows with my brothers, like Manx and the Mic with my dad and stuff, which was amazing. And I've had other opportunities, but like you said, you can't you can't rely on the TV industry. It's not sustainable. You can't rely on this celebrity world. Um, so it's so good to have backup plans and different options. And that's kind of what I'm really passing on to my talent as well, just letting them know that you need to build long-term careers and have your fingers in different pies to make sure that um, you've got that longevity. It's so clever and it's really kind of good for people to see that. And how different do you think your life would have been if you'd not gone on Love Island, if you hadn't said yes, if you'd decided to just, you know, start up another business or if the business hadn't have gone bust, how different do you think life would be now? I just think I would have always ended up on TV in some way. Yeah. I would have always had to have that little moment. Um, I just think I was destined for it without sounding cheesy. No, I, um, we have that feeling and you've got to ride the feeling. Where the, like, that's what Sliding Doors is. Is like There's a destination, the path to get there might be different, but you know that you're destined for something. Yeah, because I used to get approached by like, Big Brother, X on the Beach, like even before Love Island. And do you know what? Love Island was the first ever series of Love Island, the celebrity one with Callum Best, Paul Sorry, Denan. that was my like fate with Kelly Brook. That was like, oh, oh that it was the was best it. show. It was the best I remember, show. I remember watching that when I was like 15, doing my GCSEs. Same, yeah. And it was the only show that I'd actually put down my books yeah. um, to go and watch. It was just amazing. It was, was it Patrick and, Keelty? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was such oh, a great was show. So and good. I, so when Love Island was coming back, I was like, oh my God, it's my favourite show. So I just, listen, the stars definitely aligned. Um, yeah. It was meant to be. And it was a great series as well. I think that our series really put it on the map. Um, it's become a lot more commercial since then, don't get me wrong. Uh, I probably, would I have behaved a little bit differently in there? Maybe, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I was, I was no 27, regrets. but I was, a very, I was a very young 27. I've grown up a lot since then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was the best thing I ever did. And I think for a lot of people, if you go on there, um, for the right reasons. Um, but you've also got to have the right kind of headspace as well. I've seen some people go on that show who probably, in my opinion, maybe shouldn't have been on there. I think you've got to be the right type of person. But if you go on there and you embrace it for the right reasons, I think you can do really well. Definitely. And then your last moment is um, when I didn't get into Manchester Grammar School when I was younger. So we get quite a lot of these moments um, where people are like reflecting on, you know, a school that they didn't get into a university. Um, and this time in your life is so influential to who you become and you can kind of like reflect back and see why that was a good thing that happened. So do you want to explain um, what happened and why this is such a sliding doors moment for you? Yeah, so I went to a, a private preparatory school called Bramwood Prep. Um, it was actually across the road from my house, which is mad. I used to wake up in the morning and just literally walk across the road. Oh, I just remember dream. that as a kid. But it was a really um, kind of high achieving school in terms of everyone was super clever, like really clever. And I think it was kind of expected that everybody would just get into Manchester Grammar School, um, which was like the target at the time. Everybody wanted to go there. It was the best school apparently. And I remember getting my results um, one day and I didn't get in. And all my friends did. And I just cried my eyes out. I was gutted. Yeah. I remember being a young kid going, why? And I got into all the other schools, but I just didn't get into that one. And I remember doing the exam for it, actually. It was, it was <laughs> so difficult. Um, and I remember crying my eyes out, but it was so ironic because I didn't get into that school, but I actually got a scholarship to William Hume Grammar School, Mad. which doesn't make any sense, really, because there was only six people from that um that year who actually got the scholarship and I got the scholarship today. So obviously my mum and dad were like, you're going there, my mum and stepdad, because yeah. obviously they're going to save a lot of money. And it was probably my least favourite school to go to, but I actually went there and 
William Hume Grammar School was like in the middle of like Moss Side, believe it or not. And mm-hmm. it was such a multicultural school. And I learned so much from going there about different cultures. Um, all my friends were all from different parts of the world, different backgrounds. And it played a massive part in my kind of, in kind of my childhood yeah. in terms of, I my, my brother went to a school in Cheeto, local to us, and in the nicest way possible, they were very ignorant um, at that school. Like they didn't have the same kind of education into different cultures and stuff. And I found myself having to educate them a lot. And I just think going into um, adulthood, I'm really grateful that I went to that school because I learned so much and I created so many lifelong friends. And it was um, just a massive learning curve for me. And I just think if I did go to Manchester Grammar School, not saying that's not a great school and it's not multicultural itself, I just remember that it's kind of a bit of a rare experience to have that um, level of education around different cultures at such a young age. And I'm really grateful for it. I mean, it was definitely the universe telling you to go to the other school because as you said, you got into every other school. And I think what's interesting is, is that at that age, it's like the worst thing in the world. It happened to me, like all your friends are doing something, you're not the one that's doing it. And you haven't learned yet. Like you just think you're not good enough and you haven't learned those things. But do you think this was kind of like something that's kind of helped you as you've got older, realise that like, you know, if you don't get your first choice in life, if you don't get the thing that you want, you can still actually get an amazing experience out of something else? Yeah, 100%. Like, William Hume Grammar School, for me, um, is such a great school. I've got such fond memories. And, again, like, those tears on that day opening those exam results, um, I can remember to, to this day the feeling. And with all of these sliding doors, doors moments that we've talked about, I can remember the lows now, but like you said, they, they've always led me to where I need to be. If I didn't go to that school, if I didn't go into Love Island, if I didn't go sober that year, like... I wouldn't be where I am now. And I can honestly say I'm in the strongest position I've ever been in and I'm happiest, the happiest I've ever been as well. So yeah, you've got to be grateful for those dark moments and those defining moments because they really do lead you to where you need to be. Yeah, and this is why I love reflecting on these moments because it's not often that you can kind of sit back and think about, as you say, like remembering when you opened the letter and cried and not that we want to dwell on the bad, but we want to remember that like, that was a low moment and look where it led to. It's such a great sign does moment and we all have them from when we're younger. And as I say, we can look back in hindsight, but actually if we can just inspire some of the younger generation to realise that if you don't get that first choice, if you go to your last choice, it can turn out to be the best thing ever. For me, I, I could always hear this little voice inside my head and this little feeling in my stomach, um, especially when it came to my relationship to alcohol. And I think with anything, like always follow your gut, like there's, there's something oh, else always. there. It's hard to put your finger on it but always listen to that little feeling inside yourself. Um, it might sound cheesy, but honestly, if that can that can be your guiding force a lot of the time, that little voice, that little feeling inside your, inside your chest that kind of guides you to where you need to be. And that's exactly what I did. I listened to that, especially when I went sober. And, and who would have thought it? I've gone from being the ultimate party boy yeah. to now hosting walks in the countryside and bringing people together for wellness. So Love it. if I can do it, anyone can do it. It's incredible. And you're so right. Like following your gut, it always means that if it works out great, if it doesn't, at least you've gone with what you felt. I'm so excited to kind of keep following your journey, keep going with the sobriety. Like honestly, the ups, the downs, it's just brilliant what you're doing and you're helping so many people. Absolutely loved our chat. And yeah, look forward to kind of following your journey. Carry on. Yeah. And Jen, you're doing such a great job with your podcast. So congratulations. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Scott. All right. Cheers. Bye bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.